Welcome to Vindanity. Been a couple weeks here. We had the holiday weekend last week. There's some things going on in Minnesota sports. Twins have had a couple of big wins. New All-Star Brian Dozier led the way on the biggest ninth inning comeback in over two years on Friday night. But maybe we'll tell you all about that when we see you again. We've got more timely things to talk about here. We're going to talk about a 20-year-old movie here because that's what you come to Vindanity for. It's current events, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I was... Kind of, we talked about getting in the mood for this, an American classic. I was watching a bunch of youth sports today, calling uh, the USA Cup youth soccer tournament. I saw a parent of a kid get kicked out in the first game. It wasn't even 8.30 in the morning for yelling at the ref. Made me think of Spike's dad in this movie. I don't know. So I think we had to break down Little Giants here. We've been talking about doing uh, things like that throughout the summer. So, uh, you know, I think kind of the barometer for this one is any movie you watched when you were a little kid, you go back and watch it now, and you're like, how did this make any sense to me? And then you're like, oh yeah, I was a little kid. I had the mindset of a drunk person. Like, right. I mean, anything makes sense to you when you're a little kid. I think I knew this one was ridiculous, because I even didn't understand how this movie made any sense when I was a little kid. <laughs> like, I would poke holes in this when I was 10 years old. So it's, it, it's a very strange movie. I think there's a lot we can uh, discuss in... I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I guess we can kind of just start right at the beginning. It doesn't doesn't take too long. Well, I think, yeah, for, for listeners who maybe haven't seen it or it's been quite a while, maybe we should just start at the beginning and kind of let them know what's up. Well, I mean, we've got kind of the classic brother rivalry. It's, right. it's established right away. Uh, you know, they're just... And I mean, this becomes a theme throughout the movie. It's just, you know, Kevin O'Shea is played by Ed O'Neill... Uh, fresh off of Married with Children, and, you know, pretty successful actor at that time. Rick Moranis had the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise. I mean, that's that's sort of, you know, we've talked about this, you and I, Tom. It's, the strange thing about this movie is there's a lot of things that seemed hastily thrown together at yeah. the last minute, like it was very low budget, but they got two very big-name actors at the time and then a bunch of, like, high-profile NFL players, so... Like, at one point, I think this was supposed to be a very well-crafted movie, and then I'm not exactly what sure what happened. <laughs> <laughs> just ran out of time. All of kinds yeah. of potential. And yeah, just I mean, the even production the production timeline was just like the movie timeline. Yeah, yeah, they had three weeks to put it together. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even some of the some of the child actors went on to, to do some stuff, nothing real significant. But yeah, this had, this had potential. So, I mean, we get a scene, it, it starts out in the 60s, the two brothers are little kids, they're going to play a pickup football game. They, Urbania, Ohio. Yeah, Urbania, Ohio, which it's never really disclosed where in Ohio Urbania is, it's never really disclosed what time of year it is, there, you know, there's a lot of things <laughs> that you're not totally aware of in this, but... So it's it's somewhere in Ohio, and Kevin O'Shea, the older brother, is the really good athlete. Danny O'Shea, played by Rick Moranis, is kind of the nerdy guy. And I guess, you know, Kevin O'Shea looks like an ex-football player. Rick Moranis looks like a nerd, so there you go. That makes right. sense. Uh, they start out, they're going to play a football game. They're picking teams. They apparently know going into this that they have an odd number of players. That doesn't concern them until they pick the teams. Everybody gets picked except for Danny O'Shea. He can't apparently just sub in and out, anything like that. He has to be rejected. That kind of becomes a theme of this movie, just sort of unnecessarily cruel rejection. Should we uh, should we not focus so much on, like, 
consistency and production errors? Should we just focus on the story itself? I mean, I think we can mainly do that. There's probably some errors we can focus on, but that, yeah, I mean, we'll be here for five We hours could do another do show that. after yeah. this where we just go over errors in the film. Yeah, but I mean, no, let's stick to the errors, story, I so. suppose, at first. <laughs> but I, I think very important to, uh, to note that, so they pick the teams, they divide up, um, and then the love interest... In the story, an eleven-year-old uh, Patty, her last name Floyd. escapes. Patty, Patty Floyd. Floyd, an eleven-year-old Patty Floyd comes up to see Danny. She's obviously chosen the younger of the O'Shea boys, and she asks why he's not playing. And he makes a point to say to her that he was put on the injured list. Mm. Becomes important later. We'll in the be moves. coming back to that. Point and now a you know later. Patty O'Shea apparently, after doing this, disappears for thirty years. And according to Danny O'Shea, when he sees her 30 years later, still looks exactly the same, but still looks very attractive. Which yeah, I mean, she she obviously had a, you know, a eventful 30 years. <laughs> but still looks but like still, she's we're, we're, we're not quite there yet. So we, you know, there's more to come. But, so, we do a quick flash forward from that. We find out... Uh, All while a football is in the air. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, yeah, that is true. Kevin O'Shea talks to his brother at this point... Punts of football as high in the air as a football has apparently ever been punted. <laughs> I mean, that had to have been in orbit for a while. It came down 30 years later. Yeah. So, and But it didn't go very far. He just kind of kicked it straight up in the air. So, yeah, I mean, that happens. 30 years pass while that football's in the air. And then you're sort of quickly caught up. It goes to another youth football tryout. Kevin O'Shea's now the coach. We're sort of... Gradually introduced to what's happened to him, kind of through an expository speech that he apparently gives all the time. He went on, led their high school to three state championships, don't know what happened in his fourth year. Went yeah, on to college. Really. They show him in a green and gold jersey. I don't know if it's maybe supposed to imply that he went to Notre Dame. I, I'm not yeah, sure where he went yeah, to college. makes sense. They never really say. You would think... He's a Catholic up, boy. You would think, so. yeah, a priest yeah, does show up later. Right. I mean, you would think... In keeping with the theme of the movie, he'd have played for, like, Ohio State or something, but, what you know, whatever. He doesn't, they don't really say where he went to college, but he became an All-American, he won the Heisman Trophy. I, they never, you would think there'd be a plot line where he got injured or something. He does talk about playing in a high school, school football game where he was so bruised he can't even see straight, but apparently no injuries, he just stopped playing football after winning the Heisman, even though the NFL would have been clearly established at that point, but... They never really explain that. He goes back to the town, uh, opens up a successful car dealership, and then he's going to coach this peewee football team that apparently this town that's produced a very successful fo football player has never had before. Now, that is interesting because after quitting, after or I'm assuming he quit after winning the Heisman, he still gets around pretty well. It's obviously not like nursing an old injury. Yeah, I don't know if they just, you know, again, I, I think... They probably, I, you know, they, they, this movie couldn't be three hours, but yeah, they, the things they right. chose to cut out. I would have liked to strange. have seen Little Giants, the eight, uh, eight part like the true detective type series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have been interesting. Hey, you know, they, it's just they're just missing a couple. Like they do a couple expository speeches, but you feel like they could have maybe just had one or two more to explain some of these holes in the timeline but you know yeah, i mean uh, obviously the kevin o'shea character is more interesting winning the heisman we don't really know what danny o'shea did for those 30 years we know he moved into a gas station yeah and that's about it he yeah. hangs out and 
with kids a lot. I guess. And had a had a wife that apparently just left one day. They aren't really clear on what happened there. I mean, they're not clear on a lot of things. No, we have to establish that. But which this might actually be a good time to bring up a little bit of background information about the writing staff. Well, there's, yeah, I, and now I looked up this guy. He apparently was kind of like a script doctor, so I guess he rewrote some of the script. He's not the credited writer. So, <laughs> so, so wait, so the guy that was, was doing heroin fixed the script. Evidently, yeah. He was trying to sell a memoir a couple years ago and said, like, he wrote these movies while on heroin. I, I don't totally know how much veracity there is to that, but, yeah, he, I mean, it definitely... I don't want to make light of drug use, but yeah, the, the script seems like it could have been written by someone that was engaging in yeah, I'd buy that. extracurriculars. Yeah, but so he came in. He came in to save the script. I, I guess they like brought him in. Yeah, <laughs> they fly him in. I mean, the script did need some work, probably, but yeah. So, anyways, you know, it goes. You get the football tryout. Ed O'Neill has a, you know, Kevin O'Shea has a best friend named Harold Butts, who I suppose that was supposed to be kind of a winking joke, Harry Butts. But still, you had to infer a little bit. Like, I didn't, I never learned that till we just watched Yeah, it. I mean, maybe that was for the parents. I mean, clearly whoever wrote this, whether it was the <laughs> script doctor or the original writers, yeah. really enjoyed bathroom humor. and It was for the parents, but the joke was that his name was Harry Butts. Yeah. I mean, his... his his humor doesn't go much. There's a lot of unnecessary sight gags just to get, like, a fart or someone getting hit in the balls in this movie. So that was sort of the mindset of the people that wrote it. But. It, it does work. I guess, yeah, that's interesting. Because watching it again, I was just more reminiscing the whole time. It would be a different perspective if you're watching this for the first time as a parent, like, with your kid, having never seen the yeah. movie. You'd pick up on more of that. Yeah, I mean, this was part of a long stretch of little kid sports movies that kind of all follow the same plot with the underdog winning. I mean, there kind of got to be diminishing returns in terms of the logic after a while, and this was kind of on the end of that line. But uh, So, yeah, I mean, you know, this Butts character is very unnecessarily cruel throughout the movie. Uh, but, yeah, it, there's... So basically, we're introduced to Danny O'Shea's daughter, who's kind of the impetus of this. She gets left off the team uh, because she's a girl. Kevin O'Shea does not have a very progressive attitude towards females in sports. He does recognize, though. Well, he acknowledges that she's Yeah, I was going to get to that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so he, you know, we'll, we'll maybe get to that in a minute. But we're introduced to Icebox, who they call her, Becky O'Shea, Danny's daughter, as being very tough. It's, again, just... The, kind of the unnecessary jokes. One of the boys makes a very strange reference to insulting her because she has to sit down to go to the bathroom, which doesn't, I don't really know why he went there, but he ends up getting put in the headlock. You see that she's tough and can beat up all the boys. Uh, and so it, that gets broken up. She gets left off the team. I mean, you know, again, we talk about the logic holes in this. There's really only, like, 20 people that tried out for this football team, right. and, like, nine of them get left off. Yeah. If, apparently, there's just no substituting allowed in peewee football, and everyone has to play offense and defense. Well, and we kind of noticed, too, that certain kids, like, get picked for the Cowboys and then kind of wander back Well, I over. think they only hired so many actors. Yeah, they had to reuse a couple. But, yeah, I mean, I think we counted 
they, I think, name 10 or 11 players yeah. when they're naming I mean, names. a couple get added in. There's apparently random kids just walking around town that no one knew existed. Really so interesting town, team. when yeah. you think about it. There's people, like, moving here all the time, some for football reasons. There's just rogue kids kicking kickballs through windows, throwing things around <laughs> grocery stores. It's... Yeah, there's not a lot of discipline. For yeah, the, apparently the not a lot kids. of parenting. No. <laughs> so they get left off. Uh, you know, Becky decides she wants to form her own team. Uh, and she wants her dad to coach. He finds out about it kind of by surprise. There's a couple of old men that sit around at a restaurant, apparently run a shop and do bookmaking on youth football. They, they get excited about it. Well, this is one of the most interesting scenes in the movie for me. We've got the classic, the two old men sitting in the diner, you know, classic Americana. Here's Kevin O'Shea. You know, they can kind of tell he's embellishing his stories. There's a debate about whether there were four or two seconds left on the clock. Uh, and then we get the mayor coming in. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was interesting. He's talking about how one of the old men says he just voted really doesn't help with the trying to figure out the timeline of what time of year everything yeah, is Yeah, I place. mean, college football is going on. No one's in school. The election, there's a calendar at one point that says it's September. September. Yeah, we don't really know what time of year it is. But I don't, again, I don't know how much we're supposed to be thinking about any of this. But, but, but I, this is an important scene, too, because so you have, you know, Kevin O'Shea telling a story. You ultimately never find out what happens. They never end the story. But he goes, sits down, and, and talks to the mayor. The mayor, of course, says there's a turd in the punch bowl, which eight-year-old me just absolutely Well, yeah, there, and it, this is also just the highest possible priority for this mayor, even on apparently election day. Life is really good in Urbania Yeah, if the he, mayor he, is strolling around. On election day, he's most worried about the town has two peewee football teams. And then, so... And it gets to the mayor before Danny O'Shea. That's the most interesting part. So apparently Becky O'Shea is very well connected and she could run this all the way up to the ladder to the mayor's office before telling her dad. I mean, I guess it's a small town where it travels fast and they are very football obsessed apparently. But but you know what, actually, you know where a word came from? The real connection from the kids to the mayor's office is Sean Murphy. Because after Becky's chasing down the three cowboys who come to give wedgies and razz the kids yeah, in the clubhouse, true. she says, we're forming our own team. My dad's the coach. It's Sean Murphy who's got yeah, a direct line to the... Apparently them. Sean Murphy's very well connected. So, he, so his family's connected. We've kind of... Nope, we never see his family, but yeah, apparently they're very connected. So yeah, then they just sort of start roaming the town and picking up some of these rogue kids to form a ragtag football team. and. Uh, but we... but. Back at the restaurant, this is important too, is where we find out that there can only be one team. Yeah, which I guess that could be a rule. Is that is you think that's done by like the population of the town? I, I, yeah. Can only have one. <laughs> it, regardless, this is a big deal. Because the mayor the mayor came to that restaurant that day because we gotta all, get something figured up. out. There, There's apparently two teams in this town, and if we're gonna join this Pop Warner League... We're only allowed to have one. Mm-hmm. So it, what's going on, Kevin? Well, and yeah, this is apparently the first year they've ever had a team, as I mentioned earlier, even though they have a very nice youth football stadium already built. And they had to elbow their way into the league. Uh, yeah, it was really a big deal call. for them to get in there. <laughs> yeah. 
apparently it just must be a really packed Pee Wee football. Yeah, and, and I mean football in Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yes. But but so this is this is where we find out when the mayor and and um, or we finally have the the first real face off with Kevin and Danny. Uh, you know, Kevin's kind of talking about how, well, they're nerds, but, you know, they've got something else they can do. Einstein couldn't catch. He's got all those little lines for him. And this kind of pisses Danny off. He doesn't really like that very much. He takes exception to that. He sees his daughter out. She's obviously upset. So he decides, what the hell? I'm going to coach this team. Uh, and can't have two teams, so what do we do? This is where the old men come back into play, and they say, hey, let's have a playoff. I mean, how great is this? I mean, old plot, Wilbur, old plot advancing Wilbur at, comes up with the idea for the rest of the movie. Well, I I really like Wilbur. I I think he advances the story. Yeah, well. Wilbur is a you know he is I guess spoiler alert here, and you kind of know how these movies go. But Wilbur ends up being right, but he's very willing to bet on the little giants, even when they don't have a team formed, right? And they apparently don't know how to play. At that point, they have five players, but. He, even though the line, I think, was set at 40 points for the Cowboys, he's very sure that he's not even betting points, spread. I don't think. He's betting straight up that, the uh, as they're called at that point, Danny's boys are going to win. <laughs> so he is, he is very confident. So yeah, I mean, you get, we start to get, they form some player, they pick up some other players, we find out that Patty Floyd's son, and this is how we get into, you know, her and Danny O'Shea uh, introduced again, has just moved into town and is a ridiculously good quarterback. Apparently the Cowboys were unaware of him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so he joins the team. Also, Wilbur was, was unaware as well. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one really <laughs> no knew one that knew. he was around. He was just kind of in grocery stores throwing toilet paper around and... Like the biggest yeah. display of individually wrapped toilet paper ever. That anybody isn't. Yeah, there's, there's all not... they were buying was like twenty rolls of toilet paper, and then there was charcoal in the cart as well. Yeah, I mean it was it was not a very well staffed grocery store. You've got Junior Floyd just ruining the toilet paper display. Becky O'Shea was walking around eating donuts out of the box without having paid for them. Becky O'Shea later on knocks over an entire shelf of merchandise, <laughs> mixing up all the cookies. So, I mean, it, yeah, these, these kids are just, they're, I mean, they're really kind of like rabid dogs just Seriously. running around the town. They're walking up and down active railroad tracks. It's, yeah, I mean. Breaking windows and. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why they had to form a Pee Wee football team. These kids are just going to destroy They had nothing the else to do. Otherwise, yeah. if they don't give them something to keep themselves out. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's why the mayor was so worked. Maybe the mayor <laughs> should open an elementary school. You know? That there might be it. Apparently, these kids are going to something. School. Yeah. yeah. But again, we don't know what time of year it is. And, you know, Wilbur also pretty prophetic there they tell him at one point the hell with the time you don't even know what year it is he says no yeah i mean this is maybe just the town where time has stopped or do you think it's a town of like all ex-football players that now are just having like some like concussion well yeah i mean this this movie was made in 1994 (laughs) before uh concussions in football became a hot topic there's a lot of gratuitous head injuries that probably would not be put in a movie that come came out now but uh yeah so you know (laughs) you get you, you get uh after they kind of put this team together we get you know, a lot of cartoonish scenes, and we get the typical stuff of where uh, 
you know, the Little Giants come together as, well, I guess they later become the Little Giants, but they, uh... Danny's boys. Danny's boys at this point, and they have no idea how to play football. They, for whatever reason, make the smallest kid be the offensive tackle, and... and <laughs> Not great coaching, I no. think, part with that. So they, they really have no idea what they're doing. Uh... That's interesting, because it, do we even learn the kid with the glasses? Do we ever find out what his name is? Jake. The, Jake? Jake Berman, the Bermanator. No, 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 the the kid who comes up with the plays. Oh, the the annexation of Puerto Rico? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember what his name is. Because later. apparently, and this obviously comes up later, but he creates a play that's really well set up and gets some pretty high praise from someone very notable, but... He can't help Danny O'Shea in saying, "Hey, this tiny guy shouldn't be our." our yeah, I know. Tackle. I don't. I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense if he's like this genius football man. I mean, there's not a lot but of. It doesn't have the. There's not a lot of thought given to positions in this game, except for like quarterback, what running back, and wide receiver, which no I get. I guess again, it's a little either. kid. Yeah. Little kid football thing, but yeah. I mean, Becky O'Shea is like a linebacker slash fullback slash backup quarterback. <laughs> back, sack, so, so. Huey football. Are you on the field for most of the game? It just kind of depends on the team size. Like, the team I was on. These are both very small teams. Yeah, the team I was on had like 20 kids or something like that, so not everybody had to play both ways, but basically the good players would play both ways. But yeah, it's I think pretty it's demanding. Pretty, Pretty common, though, yeah. So, I mean, we get, you know, a few montage scenes of teams practicing again. Lots of farting. Yeah, there's the unnecessary sight gags. I mean, someone stretches right behind the heavy set kid who farts a lot so he can get farted in his face. We get an unnecessary sight gag where people try to do, where the Danny's boys do monkey bars for training for some reason. They can all only make it one bar before they fall. All, for some reason, just... Light, continue to lay on the ground in an immense pile after falling. And just then again, there's also so that, a fart. Yeah, just so the heavy set kid can fall <laughs> off the monkey bars fart. at the end and fart. It is Tad, uh, the small blonde-haired kid, who does collect most of these so, farts yeah. in mm-hmm. this opening Now, sequence. is Tad the cowboy in the beginning? No. The cowboy... That's uh, Timmy, I want to score more. Yeah, that's Timmy Moore. And on the bottom of that pile of all the kids at the monkey bars is Johnny... Whose nickname is the Viper, even though you never hear anyone call him the Viper. Yeah, and he's got an interesting backstory as well, which does become significant. Yeah, also. I mean, all these kids just are kind of in to be the various archetypes. You have the ultra nerd, you have the wimpy kid, you have the kid whose dad has always gone on business. There's a lot of broken homes. There's a lot of broken homes. But, yeah, I mean, this Johnny is apparently left to fend for himself while his dad goes away on business. But yeah, so you, you get a lot of this, and... They practice, and they start to, I mean, you know, the Cowboys have all the nice equipment, but Danny's boys have... They're doing curls with brake pads. Equipment and, that you yeah. would not be allowed to play football with. They're practicing in a very dangerous dirt dirt lot, and so, you know, they, they all go through this. I mean, and so, essentially what happens is, we, you know... Ed O'Neill and Kevin, you know Kevin O'Shea, the Cowboys. They're not taking this game very seriously, and why would they? I suppose they definitely know they're a lot better. But he acknowledges that his niece is a very good football player. He just doesn't think that girls should be playing football. And right. as as you said earlier, you know his wife is not happy about this. You know he's very chauvinistic, even though he has his wife and two daughters. 
no boys of his own. So in this household of girls, he <laughs> maintains a very chauvinistic yeah, attitude. Yeah, I was thinking about that, how ironic that is, that he is. Which, no, you know, I suppose... All daughters. I suppose happens. But Maybe that's cursed. why... I mean, I, I really think we could do a whole nother podcast, or we could do a mini-series on the psychology of Kevin O'Shea. Obviously, he's trying to make up for the fact that he doesn't have sons of his own, right? Yes, clear that that must be a, an unspoken grudge. We are giving the people that made this movie way too much credit. <laughs> it's a complex mind in there. I mean, you think about some deep shit when you're on heroin. So. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, at, at one point he basically says... Yeah, I am, you're right, honey, you know, I've, I'm being kind of a jerk here, I'm, I'm a chauvinist, I'm pig-headed, but I've got the perfect solution, we'll form a cheerleading squad, and Becky O'Shea can be on the cheerleading yeah. squad. That doesn't really... Which his wife doesn't him. really fight that much, either. No, his wife would rather see them becoming, uh, running countries, or discovering radium, as she says in the movie, which I thought was an interesting combination of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throws, throws out a couple examples but you know as, as the uh, secondary team is formed he does acknowledge that his niece is good and that they do have to game plan for her so he picks the strangest way possible to dictate to three of his players he apparently only has three players that he feels need to get this message that Becky is the entire team and they can't let Becky beat them now how does he decide to do this I mean he could have just pass this along in a message, hey, let's only defend my niece, Becky, none of these other players know how to play football. He could have demonstrated something outside, you know, drawn up a little play, they could have thrown the football around, said, you know, this is what Becky likes to do, this is how we're going to defend her. What he decides is he is going to draw a cartoonish, kind of insulting drawing of his niece on a piece of cardboard, have her teeth kind of sticking out wearing a pirate hat. He's going to tape that piece of cardboard to his couch cushion. He's going to have his wife hold the couch cushion on the second floor of their house in what's apparently like their office with a lot of expensive trophies and shelves around. And he's going to have his players run at full speed into his wife because apparently they need to hit this cardboard cutout of his niece to understand that his niece is the only good How player on the, the team. How does the director explain the scene, like, before they shoot it? Well, <laughs> like, all right, guys, I mean, now we're in the second floor of the O'Shea here, house. Here's the explanation. <laughs> this movie's for little kids. We need to retrofit an explanation to have Kevin O'Shea get hit in the nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what the scene is for. Can we but, mean we're, but we're gonna, we're, yeah, I mean, we're flying out the window. But so, I mean, that's essentially what he wants to have happen now he has one of his kids do this he fails gets runs into the thing and falls over so apparently his wife is pretty tough yeah but so ed o'neill or you know kevin o'shea needs to uh demonstrate this now so he gets off into a full sprint his wife gets scared steps out of the way and he goes flying out the second floor window nuts himself on a tree branch and falls into a pool so again, a very nice sight gag, something you're going to find hilarious if you're eight or nine years old. I mean, yeah, if you put yourself in the minds of these characters, the plan apparently was for Kevin O'Shea to run full speed and knock his wife out of a second story window. I mean, they're just doing this in a very strange location. It, it, yeah, it does not make a lot of sense. But again, the movie is littered with kind of retrofitting ways for characters to fart on somebody or get hit. And to be fair, this worked really well. When I was a kid, I rewound this scene so many times. It was on VHS. 
I rewound it so many times that there was like a little glitch in that part of the tape. Like where you could actually see it like skip a little bit because I was just always, always rewinding. bringing them back through the window and then having them get hit in the nuts. An interesting thing I just thought of. Obviously there's so much wrong with this. Why isn't Butts there? Why isn't Butts holding the couch cushion? Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's would... like he calls like this special meeting like at, at, in the middle of the night as well. <laughs> to have these kids. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, there's really no reason to be doing any of this. In fairness, Butts is grossly incompetent. And I don't know how much <laughs> yeah. Kevin O'Shea really trusts him. I mean, I guess they're just... They made like a bros for life pact back when they were kids or something. But yeah, apparently. Yeah, I mean, he's an assistant at the car dealership, but Kevin O'Shea acknowledges that Butts has never successfully sold a car. Uh, I mean, I mean apparently he trusts Butts more than his own brother, though. So that's true. <laughs> well, yeah. Why wasn't yeah? Why wasn't Danny working at the car dealership first? So that's where the story really. That's like where how it all began. Somehow Butts got chosen over his own brother. <laughs> well, that, throughout. I mean, Butts got chosen for the football game at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Butts is inexplicably higher on the, but, on the order. So back to the scene where he flies out the window. So, so Kevin invites these kids over to his house, and then they all put on their shoes and their pads and walk upstairs <laughs> so they can do a drill? Why weren't they in the backyard? <laughs> Did this ever occur to you? Not at all, because I just love seeing him get hit in the nuts. I didn't care why they were. I mean, I think this did occur to me as a little kid. I did enjoy, you know, watching Kevin O'Shea get drilled on the tree branch. But yeah, it never did make a whole lot of sense. It breaks down pretty quickly once you get over the the sight gag. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, Butts essentially serves the purpose of being very mean to to the kids. I mean, he tra- talks trash at a car- charity car wash and gets soap thrown in his eyes. He's not not a very nice man. He goes as far as to say that if Danny's team were ducklings and he was their mama, he would lead them to water and yeah, let them drown. He, he really kind of crosses the line with his insults <laughs> a few times. He's, he's, he's a very stupid and very mean man. But no, We don't so, know if he had a career, do we? Uh, in football. I, I don't think he was I think we're led to believe that. He's certainly not a very good coach. But, uh, so, I mean, and this this scene is also kind of there to advance the plot because Kevin O'Shea justifies all of his actions by saying, well, hey, I had to make the point that Icebox is all they have, which, again, there were many other ways he could have made that point. (laughs) But he, so his daughter, who apparently his daughter was the only person in town that was aware of Junior Floyd's presence, but (laughs) she says... Well, what about Junior? And, you know, all the girls in town have a crush on Junior. Even the 12-year-old girls think he's a fox. That's true. I mean, and one 12-year-old, yeah, I mean, well. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, so he's, he's, um, he's in demand for both football coaches and 12-year-old girls. And so, <laughs> we, uh, but yeah, that, that leads to... And it's the first anyone's ever heard of him. So we've got a situation now where Kevin O'Shea and Butts need to spy on the practice. They do a very poor job of hiding in some bushes across the street. Butts does try to camouflage himself a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he wears black paint to hide yeah. in the forest. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> the, the wearing all black would have been effective if they were doing this at night. But they're doing it in the middle of the day. Pretty poor effort. So yeah, it's not. They're not very well disguised, but. 
They're standing across the street. They need binoculars to see the practice, but apparently they can hear everything that's being said loud and clear. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, the annexation of Puerto Rico assistant coach spots them. They distract them by saying they're going to run the super secret play. Butts has no idea that they're just standing around. He gets very excited. And then cops come, guns drawn. Well, that's, yeah, that's my thing. handed police. Yeah. So he, he calls the state police, and they make a point to say he didn't call the local cops. Yeah, the state I'm police arrive very quickly. The local cops, let's be honest, they're probably in Kevin's pocket. Yeah, so probably. he had to call the state police. Complains that there's two old men in the bushes spying on kids in their underwear. Yeah. And, and this, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big accusation. But this does cause the state police, three of them, to come in. Arrive guns very blazing. quickly, guns blazing. <laughs> I mean, Kevin O'Shea does praise Danny. He acknowledges that that yeah. was a smart move to call the state cops. But this all gets... Again, getting into there might be a little bit of corruption in this yeah. town. But this gets swept under the rug very quickly. He gets off. It's never mentioned again. Except it was front page news. And he was actually arrested. Yeah, but I, you know, it's never mentioned again. They dropped the charges? I guess. Maybe they found out that he wasn't actually in his underwear. So, But, yeah, so they, you know, this kind of continues on. And then we get the introduction of the most physically mature 10-year-old known to man as the, again, Wilbur and his buddy get a hot tip that there's a new kid that's moved into town. And uh, they decide to have a little fun, tell both coaches that this kid exists and let them... Uh, race via Corvette yeah. and go-kart to uh, try to find this kid. So they we learn some more backstory. We learn some more backstory. We get a little fight between the brothers as they realize that they're both going after this kid. We find out... Now, again, this is where it kind of comes into play that we don't know where Urbania is. We find out that Kevin O'Shea... And the age difference between the brothers is never totally established, but we find out that... Apparently, once he got his driver's license, Kevin O'Shea took Danny to see the Cleveland Indians and then left him at the stadium, which Urbania doesn't... I, we don't know where it is. It does not seem to be a suburb of Cleveland or anything no. like that. So, I mean, this seems like this would have been a very big problem for Danny O'Shea if he was just left in Cleveland at the age of, like, 11 or 12. But Especially because we don't know what their parental situation no. is. Yeah, there, there just is not a lot of parental supervision going on in Urbania, Ohio. But, but that's just brushed off by Kevin. He doesn't seem to feel any remorse about that. Danny O'Shea, you know, in his quest to win this game for his daughter, nearly makes his daughter an orphan by driving across railroad tracks with the arms down in a go-kart. Nearly gets destroyed by a train. But he does end up winning the race. And uh, gets to Spike first to get Spike onto Danny's boys. And Spike is a very large 10-year-old that is uh, going to be the running back, the stud running back. Now, granted, we are never at any point in this movie led to believe that Spike's father, and again, it's a, it's a single-parent situation. Yeah, Spike wow, there father. really are a lot of those, aren't there? But uh, we're never led to believe that Spike's father is the most uh, intelligent man on, on the planet. Uh, he's... Seems to be a little bit mentally unstable, but yeah. we come to find out that Spike's father is a huge Kevin O'Shea fan, favorite <laughs> football player, moved to Urbania, Ohio for the opportunity to play for Kevin O'Shea's football team. That's how excited he was that Kevin O'Shea had formed his team. 
but apparently has no idea who Kevin O'Shea is. He's never seen a picture of him because Danny O'Shea, who... He's apparently only heard whisperings, but never... Yeah, because, I mean, we all know, I think any of you listening to this know, Rick Moranis and Ed O'Neill, not physically similar people, and Rick Moranis, Danny O'Shea is able to show up and Spike's dad just completely buys it hook, line, and sinker that he's this Kevin O'Shea. And a go-kart. Yeah, I mean, he acknowledges that he seems a little small for a football player, but Danny O'Shea is able to explain that away by saying that's what they all thought. So, Spike joins the uh, uh, Danny's team, uh, frustrates everybody else on the team, is very miserable, talks about himself in the third person, just basically in the cartoonish villain role. Uh, I mean, it... Has a silver tooth? Yeah, has a silver tooth. Randomly? I mean, he's kind of... He's a lot meaner, and he doesn't party as much. He's kind of like the foreshadowing of Rob Gronkowski in the Gronkowski <laughs> family a little bit. I I can absolutely see that. Him and his dad have the buzz cuts. Gronk's, kind of, I wonder yeah. if Gronk's dad ever massaged his hamstrings with evaporating. Yeah, they're very excited about that. I don't really know what that does, but <laughs> it apparently makes 10-year-olds look like 15-year-olds. But uh, So yeah, they, they do that, and ultimately, a couple days later... Uh, Kevin O'Shea steps in and gets Spike to join the Cowboys, which I don't really know why it took that long to clear up that misunderstanding. But after a few miserable practices, uh, he leaves. This becomes the first of many times that the Little Giants threaten to quit. They all fight, but... Uh, it also sets up an interesting, um, you know, layer to the story because Becky gets a little jealous uh, of of Spike. Mm-hmm. And, and she sees, you know, her dad kind of fawning all over him, asking him, well, how, what kind of offense do you like, Spike? What, what should we do, Spike? And she doesn't like that. Uh, and so I think that kind of gets into this whole, um, you know, this rift between well, and the she, two. Well, she has a crush, as apparently everybody does on Junior Floyd. Right. Naturally. So, you know, yeah. she's, uh, so, yeah, I mean, she's, she's got a lot of distractions going on. She's worried that Junior likes her cousin, who's the cheerleader. So, but yeah, I mean, Icebox is a little, little distracted at this point. But, yeah, Spike leaves. They kind of all get into this big fight. They quit, go back to their clubhouse. And then, miracle of all miracles, legendary football coach trying to find his way to Canton, taking a very securitous shortcut. Hey, he gets lost in Urbania, and... We get oh. uh, some cameo football player appearances. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I I mean that, I, you know, when I was watching this, when I was eight, I honestly didn't really know who John Madden was. I just knew him as the guy with white hair who talked kind of funny. Uh, but watching it now and and knowing some of the the players that he has with him on this bus, this really is one of the best scenes I think in the whole movie. Yeah, you know, John Madden shows up. He gives a little inspirational speech he uh helps design a a play with the assistant coach that's not totally a viable football play although they do claim that it was used in the raiders super bowl win over the vikings which i'm not sure is accurate but we should probably fact yeah that. <laughs> but he yeah he shows up and is apparently is just taking his enormous bus to drive uh steve entman tim brown emmett smith and bruce smith to an event in canton ohio even though they are very late and very lost, they have time to give this little pep talk to a random peewee football team. But yeah, we we really don't hear from Tim Brown at all. I'm not sure if his scenes <laughs> were cut the, for time. The always ignored Tim Brown. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't really dressed to go to something at the no, Football Hall of Fame. Either. No, and yeah. 
But they, so yeah, they it, he gets kind of cut out. We get Steve Entman getting tackled by Zoltek, who you know he's former number one overall pick, whose career was ruined by injuries. Maybe that was the start of it when the eleven year old kid knocked him over. Kind of landed weird. Yeah. So <laughs> and then, it never felt right after that scene. <laughs> Emmett Smith gives a little pep talk. Bruce Smith flexes his muscles and really scares a bunch of eleven year olds. <laughs> and uh, then the bus leaves, but they are. Sufficiently inspired by John Madden to decide that they are actually going to try to play football. So, if we get that, we get it contrasted with not as good of a motivational speech from Kevin O'Shea and Spike's dad getting very excited for the first of many times as they finish up their final practice. We go they kind have of one day to integrate Spike. Yeah, I mean, we go from zero. Seamless, really. Yeah, we go from zero to sixty pretty quickly here. I mean, we're led to believe for a while that this game is a ways out, and then yeah, we just kind of find out that the game is tomorrow. And uh, yeah, Spike gets integrated <laughs> into the offense very quickly. And uh, yeah, so we're. We're about ready to get some football. First, Becky and Junior have to creepily watch a couple of high school kids make out in a canoe on a lake. Becky can very aggressively uh, express her feelings for Junior, and uh, Junior reveals that Becky is the only girl he knows that could beat up his dad, who we never see. Might have been the reason that Patty Floyd left him. Yeah, I mean, it, apparently he's gone through a long list of 11-year-old girls he's been able to beat up, but <laughs> Becky, Becky, the Icebox O'Shea, would be able to beat up. What kind of sick bastard is Junior's dad? <laughs> yeah, it, See it, that little girl? I bet I could beat <laughs> her up. Yeah, it's, it's uh, probably led to believe it's a good thing that Junior's dad is no longer in the picture. And uh, well, I guess, wait, wait. so we, you know, we hadn't really, I guess, talked about this. This all kind of leads to, I guess, the big plot twist in the movie, which is Becky very quickly uh, changing her mind and wanting to become a cheerleader instead of a football player. But really, you know, some impressive psychological work by her uncle. That's there, what I'm saying. Just a very sick man with the mind games he wants to play with his 11-year-old niece, but he uh, he's very able to very passively, aggressively get his, his yeah. niece to quit football. That's what I was saying. That's what he does. He catches her in the diner, and she's kind of down and out. He's got a crush, but Junior's not that into it. You know, there's all this mess with the teams. And he kind of says, hey, think about it from Junior's perspective. Who do you think he wants, a teammate or, or some cheerleader? And that's really the tipping point. That's when she kind of realizes, ooh. She goes home, puts the makeup on and all that, and... Uh, yeah, comes home the night before the game with a box uh, with a cheerleader's outfit in it. And that, uh, yeah. and then the whole Rick Moranis is obsessed with beating his brother storyline, too, where she says, you only, you know, basically like bringing Spike in and doing things like that is because you want to prove to everybody that. Yeah, and you, you know, Icebox gets, you know, she's not treated very well by people in this movie in general. No. I will say maybe a little rough on Rick Moranis gets very upset with him for uh, on her dad Daniel Shea suddenly yeah for you know not treating her like a traditional girl and letting her be a cheerleader calling her my little princess when I mean throughout the movie she was very upset that no one else would let her be a football yeah she doesn't like anything about that I mean it was yeah that shows you the depth of the mind games Kevin O'Shea yeah, can play he, with someone. He's, uh, you know, maybe this is how he became kind of the successful businessman. Yeah. He had more to offer than just football. Maybe that's why he quit. He that's realized, why he sells so many Corvettes. Yeah, realized he had the brain power. So, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, I, I guess, I don't, 
you know, and it is, again, came out in 1994. I, I don't know that, I guess it was sort of the beginning of uh, girls' youth sports becoming a big thing maybe at that point. It hadn't quite become as mainstream as it is now. But, yeah, it's hard to really know what you would take away from this movie if you were a younger girl. See? Right. Because I guess you've got to grant them that this is one of the only movies of its era where it, like, acknowledges that a girl could be a good athlete and she mm -hmm. is presented as a main character. She is really good at football. But ultimately, it really just does reinforce a lot of traditional gender stereotypes. So... I mean, that's the thing, that we're, we're breaking this down, talking about Kevin O'Shea's psychology and all of the, yeah, you know... I mean, essentially, this does give the message roles, to a girl, you're only going to have a guy interested in you if you're a cheerleader. That's true. So. But, I mean, well, we can't get same, too far ahead. She does play a big role yeah, at the end of the movie as well. But, I mean, well. yeah. You're, I guess, well, yeah, you're never really led to believe if Junior would be interested in her as a football player. But it does acknowledge that she could be good at football. So, yeah, it's pretty mixed messaging, I guess. Yeah, there's just of, a lot of, I mean, luckily, kids that are watching it aren't thinking about it that much. No, I wonder no. if very many young girls watch this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. How it's well a football it movie, yeah. but honestly, I never really thought about it that the main character is a girl. I just liked it because, like, they farted and <laughs> Kevin yeah. gets hit the nuts. <laughs> no. So, I think so. I mean, I think, yeah. It's still a football movie. I, I think it's probably mainly a boys movie. I mean, this was a pretty big Warner Brothers release, though. This was marketed quite a bit. Yeah. I, I imagine a lot of kids of that age both boys and girls saw it. I mean, I feel like whether she wanted to or not, her sister Mary Claire watched it many times. That's, we watched it so I mean, I watched this so movie much. probably like over 30 times when I was a kid. So. But yeah, so this, you know, leads to the big surprise that Becky doesn't want to play in the game now. She wants to join Kevin's cheerleader team, who apparently it's just one cheerleading squad that cheers for, for both, both teams. teams. Yeah. But, well, one town, one team. Yeah, yeah. well... You know, they could have maybe split them up. For Although they pick colors games. that don't apply to either. No. Just neutral colored cheerleading team. <laughs> so, you know, we've got the NFL licensing deal in this movie. They're the Cowboys, Kevin O'Shea's team. They're wearing the authentic double star uh, Cowboys jerseys of the mid-90s. And then we find out that Danny's team is going to be the Giants. Really, I think for no other reason than they came up with the title Little Giants and wanted a reason to... Make you know have that be the title, so they, they even the wink it to that at the beginning of the game. Yeah, Kevin O'Shea goes, "Oh, little giants, that's cute." Yeah, yeah. the the writer was very <laughs> pleased of coming up with that pun. Maybe Tom Hanneman was the pun doctor. Ooh, <laughs> but got to start early in his career yeah. on the set of Little Giants. So we get Giants authentic helmets, not authentic Giants jerseys, because you know Danny O'Shea doesn't have that kind of. But Even though they had a what seemed to be a very lucrative car wash to buy the uniforms, five dollars a car, and at one point one uh, well, Butts gets a one dollar deal for being an asshole. Right, the yeah. asshole discount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently yeah, that's why Rick Moranis isn't very successful. <laughs> <laughs> he can't keep track of prices. <laughs> he always negotiates down. Yeah. It's like, wait, you're being meaner to me, so therefore I will I give you a deal. <laughs> yeah. So, they, yeah, they must have ineffectively washed a lot of cars to make that much money. Because, yeah, they're sneezing on cars, playing with the soap. They don't seem to really get these cars very clean. But. Or those personalizations on the back of the Giants jerseys were just really expensive. That could be, too. Yeah, they get all, all the kids get jerseys on the... Or nicknames on the back of their jerseys. So, yeah, we get... 
it leads up to the big game. Uh, we get a, a scene of the teams firing up. I get, you know, the night before, we see all the players getting themselves oh, ready yeah. to play, and we get some jokes again made for each kind of player archetype. And so, yeah, you know, we get, we get to the day of the game. We see the players firing themselves up. Kevin O'Shea calls in a priest who he basically just cuts off mid-prayer. He wasn't all that interested in the priest. Inspiring his team, the Giants are... Fired up, they're talking trash through the air vents and apparently speaking very loudly. But then uh, they come to find out Becky O'Shea probably wasn't the best time to come see her former no. teammates dressed as a cheerleader and tell them good luck in the game. I don't know why she thought that would get them excited to play, but yeah, they find out that she's not going to play in the game, threatened to quit for the second time in as many mm-hmm. days. Uh, Rick Moranis again has to kind of talk them into playing, but Which, yeah, I mean he obviously is a good coach. He does convince he his team to way. play. Yeah, <laughs> so he gets them out on the field. Uh, we get a just little a more very tenuous situation at any time, though. His team just might quit. Out. He's just basically a hostage negotiator throughout <laughs> this movie, patching it together. <laughs> yeah, spit and spit and vinegar, just holding this whole thing together. So. But, uh, yeah, we get a little more trash-talking between brothers before the coin toss, and we get some stakes at it. They decide to bet their businesses on the outcome of this game. Which I thought more about this. So, I mean, Kevin O'Shea obviously has a lot of assets if he's a Chevrolet dealer. He's got Corvettes all over his lot. Rick Moranis obviously has a nice spread. We see, like, the elaborate clubhouse the kids have and everything. I mean, I guess this bet... It's kind of based on that point spread, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, they reference point spreads, but I don't think they wanted to try to explain to little kids what a point spread was. So, I mean, even though they put up point spreads, they still basically just bet on who's going to win the game, I think. So, yeah, I mean, throughout this movie, the Cowboys are very excited they're going to win, even though they're winning by a much narrower margin than what their point spread would have been. Right. But, yeah, so we get into that. There's the coin toss. Kevin O'Shea, in an act of generosity, lets Danny call the coin, and of course he gets it wrong, so they have a good laugh about that. And then, you know, I don't want to pile on them too much for this, because basically every kid sports movie of this era did this, but we get the scene, you know, the scenes at the beginning then where the Cowboys are just unbelievably good at football. They can run it for 50 yards every time they get the ball to spike. The Giants apparently have no idea how to play football still. They can't execute a handoff. They're running back just... Runs in circles for five minutes, begging the ref to blow the whistle. So, but throughout all this, we get a first half essentially of that happening. Uh, but yet the Cowboys really aren't able to put up very many points. It's the quickest, the fastest first half in all of football. I mean, I think I saw on the clock that they gave them eight minutes for the first half. So we got a total of five possessions. In the first half of a game. Yeah, and you know, it's, I don't know if this was... I guess they complain later on about Butts' defensive play calling. I'm not sure if he was also calling the offense. But yeah, they do seem to get a bit arrogant with their play calling. I mean, again, they could run up the middle with Spike and apparently get 50 yards of pop, but they kind of mess around with some other plays. and So yeah, I mean, it, downs don't seem to be... It, it, but, you know, and it, I guess it kind of sticks with the theme of poor discipline in this movie. It's not a very well-officiated game. No. The refs do not seem to uh, really get control of it. They ignore a lot of blatant cheap shots. They do call a personal foul at one point, but a lot of hits after the whistle are ignored. 
I a lot of targeting. Yeah. yeah. A lot of trash talking is let go. So, but yeah, they don't appear to be keeping track of the downs very well. But anyways, we get a first half in which the Cowboys dominate, but it's conveniently still only 21 nothing. So, again, now for the third time in two days, the Giants want to quit at halftime. <laughs> not, not the most dedicated group of players. Uh, Rightfully so, though. I mean, they're only down 21 points, but that was pretty... I mean, that was a disheartening first half. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, yeah, they do realize that they spent four weeks practicing and still did not learn how to play football. So, I mean, yeah, that would be a little bit frustrating, I suppose. But, again, they are still somewhat in this game, and as cocky as the Cowboys are, again, they were favored by 40 points. Yeah. They're only up 21 at halftime, so I guess they were on pace to barely cover the spread. But, uh, but yeah, so we get, you know, a halftime again, and... Danny O'Shea gets reminded when one of the players tells him you should put us on the injured list. That gets a flashback. We get a very uh, motivational speech about how you only have to do it one time and you can be winners, which ends up kind of being Herb Brooks' speech in the movie Miracle. Yeah, I I was pretty impressed. I mean, look, he's got a team that's almost quit on him three times after, you know, such a just heartbreaking first half. He's able to get them really fired up. And I think that's because, and obviously, I mean, this gets back to the whole story between the two brothers, but they see a bit of Danny O'Shea in themselves. They're the rejects, they're the nerds, and now they're thinking, hey, all we need, you beat Kevin O'Shea in a bike race? Well, this is our bike race. And he fires them up. They come out roaring. This is essentially the last big movie moment for Rick Moranis. After that, he just played the banjo, I guess. You know, yeah, Yeah. the story is always that he kind of went back to Canada, got sick of the limelight, does does some work up there. You wonder if maybe, does this inspire the team? Do they know at this point that this is going to be Rick Moranis' last movie? (laughs) Did Rick Moranis basically just decide after that motivational speech he needed to drop the (laughs) mic and just get out of this business? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. but He just quits right after. It is kind of interesting. It's a big motivational speech kind of uncharacteristic for rick moranis and it is one of his last probably one of his finest moments in cinema could yeah you know it's up on that list (laughs) i'm sure he's you know this is still what he tells people about up in canada by the way i totally knew that he like was in a you know whatever a bluegrass band or whatever and i got in an argument with my co-worker's boyfriend about that at the christmas party how heated was that argument it was more of an annoying thing where, like, he, he started, to, he somehow Rick Moranis came up and somebody no, said, actually. like, yeah, well, whatever happened to Rick Moranis? I'm like, yeah, apparently he's in a bluegrass band or something now. He doesn't really, like, do anything. And he's, and he's just like, no, you're thinking of Russell Crowe. And then he turns around and, like, gets his food and, like, went to sat down, sit down at the table for dinner or something. And so it was like... I know I'm right about this, but I'm not going to like it in this stupid argument. So, like Harold Butts in this movie, your co-worker was a very uh, big combination of confident and misinformed. Yes. Yes. Did he read a Marmaduke comic and laugh hysterically during the Christmas party? No, no. He he wasn't a bumbling fool as much as an arrogant asshole. So. Okay. Well, so he has half of Butts' personality. Pretty much, yeah. He's like the, the, the Butts, but more of a... Yeah, he's got the the, the jerkishness, okay. but not the incompetent bumbling. <laughs> Shots fired at Vince's co-worker's Shots boyfriend. Fired. <laughs> Shots if fired. you're listening, 
Yeah, the gauntlet has been laid. The mic's been dropped. <laughs> so, I guess just as a uh, reference point there, in the scene where Kevin O'Shea is, it's revealed to him that Spike is in town, he has to stop Butts, he cannot hear the conversation, because Butts is reading the comics, specifically Marmaduke, and laughing harder than I have ever seen anyone laugh while reading the comics. I used I mean, to I, read Marmaduke. Yeah. It I, was you know, okay. I read comics as a kid. Marmaduke was probably at the bottom of my list of favorite comics. It's like Fred not, Bassett. Not usually very funny, but Butts apparently Family loves Marmaduke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I was... Uh, you know, Garfield was always pretty good. Yeah, I read the Duplex, too. That was a good one. Calvin but... and Hobbes. See, that was... what the What paper was that in? I feel wasn't maybe that wasn't ever in a paper. We only ever had the Pioneer Press, so we had I like remember the direct order everything was in. I feel like it was in the Star Tribune. We never got Snoopy or Kathy or Calvin and Hobbes. You never got Snoopy in the Pioneer Press? No. What the hell is wrong? I don't know, it doesn't make sense. That makes zero So the Star Tribune printed Snoopy, but the oh man, that makes such little sense. Anyway, well, as we take you inside a conversation Butts and Wilbur would have had in the restaurant in this movie, we uh, we'll get back to the football game here at the end of the end of things. So we get we get back to halftime, inspirational speech, come out for the second half. Uh, the Giants, you know, sufficiently motivated by this Rick Moranis speech, they gain a yard on a play that inspires them, and uh, yeah, I mean they just they start coming up with some things to do. I mean, they go from not being able to execute a handoff to all of a sudden they're running flea flickers and reverses and deep passes to Hainan who can't catch but gets very open. Johnny's dad comes back from a business trip, very slowly runs into the end zone without things being stopped. Johnny avoids a bunch of tacklers to get to him. Uh, we have kind of an issue with players telegraphing plays in the huddle. Yeah. I mean, they never want to get the ball, and they say very loudly, don't give the ball to me. Which I guess maybe the Cowboys thought they were just trying to throw them off the scent. Well, maybe it was kind of reverse psychology. But Let's be honest, Butts' defense is just horrendous. Well, this, this is referenced. <laughs> yeah. Kevin O'Shea, after the third touchdown, gets very, very upset. Butts is just... Uh, kind of apoplectic there about that insult he gets and Kevin O'Shea spikes down his clipboard and yeah it it, it becomes a scene and uh Spike Spike's dad I guess this is a little bit earlier on he decides to take matters into his own hands have Spike take out Junior Floyd since with Icebox not playing Junior's the best player on the team he launches himself for a hit about 20 seconds after the whistle. It's very late. Apparently breaks Junior Floyd's ribs. Gets very upset when a personal foul is called. Shoves down another player. Does not get a second penalty called. Kevin O'Shea does draw the line there. He uh, tells Spike's dad to settle down. Spoiler, Spike's dad does not settle down. <laughs> he does not uh, call for Spike to injure any more players. But yeah, they he, he, he is not a very stable figure. For I mean, movie. he... He goes as far as to say that, Spike, if you don't take out Junior Floyd, you're going to give one of your kidneys to your sick aunt. Yes. Yeah, so you kind of wonder what's going on with Aunt Ruth. She you must know, be during, going through some dialysis. Apparently they're the same blood type. Yeah, and so... And Aunt Ruth now is going to be left to yeah, die. she's left without a kidney. She's still she on the list. The, just, so, just for a couple years of football for Spike... That would have made cool. this. That would have made this game more interesting if the wager had been 
loser has to give a kidney to Aunt Ruth. Aunt Ruth is just in, is sitting in the middle of the field. <laughs> Instead of the Heisman statue, there's just a statue of Aunt Ruth. When, when sitting in the hospital yeah. bed like, alright guys, let's kind hurry of up. sick and sad looking. I I'm getting a kidney from somewhere. Yeah, again, you know, we talked about the writing and what may have led up to it. There's a lot of cases here where, you know, we talked about this with butts, where they kind of do go to the most extreme examples. Oh, yeah. I mean... You know, you could have probably motivated Spike to take out Junior without going to the kidney for the sick relative. I think Spike would have done that regardless. I mean, yeah, Spike is not the most stable figure throughout this movie either. So, but yeah, so we get we get that the uh, the Giants are able to come back, tie the game. As you know, again, in addition to them figuring out how to play football, the Cowboys apparently forget. But again, this happens. This happens in every sports movie. So. Cowboys do get the ball back, though, late in the fourth quarter. They kind of get back to their bread and butter. A couple long runs for Spike up the middle. He is shown running it down to the goal line, getting tackled just before the goal line. And then we just kind of flash forward to fourth down, so I'm not really sure what happened on the three plays in between, but, again, they didn't seem to be keeping track of those things very well. <laughs> Woo! We're not keeping track of ourselves very well here, but uh, getting a little dusty inside the Vince apartment. So, if we get to fourth down. Yeah, we, we don't have the budget for cop switches here, people. We're spending an hour and a half talking about lunch. Let's, so, let's be honest. We'll pay, Vince, we'll pay you back for the rental. I mean, the $4 we had to spend to rent this movie is as much budget as we've put into this. So yeah, we much. probably won't be able to do a podcast for another four months. <laughs> probably, yeah. But, yeah. So, anyways, we get down for, you know, dramatic purposes to fourth and goal from the one. Patty Floyd has a stroke of genius, recognizes that Kevin O'Shea is going to want to win the play that he won the big game with. Again, I'm not... I assume this is the play he was telling Wilbur about in the restaurant earlier ah. from the high school game. Ah. Oh, I never thought of that. I assume so. There's four seconds left. Oh, and I didn't pick up on that. Soon. Holy You know, cow. we make fun of the writer, but look at these bows being yeah. tied together. You know yeah. what? I bet no one else has watched this movie and made that connection. Look at us tying knots. He's Seriously, tied, though. He, you know, we're all tying both. Think here, about right? it. No one else would have watched this movie this many times or broken it down to this point. That's so hidden. How would anyone else find that? There's layers to things. It's a little Easter egg. When you dig, you can find some gold. It almost makes you want to do heroin, doesn't it? <laughs> After this podcast, we might be doing a lot of things. <laughs> but, uh... So, yeah, we get to the fourth and goal. They, Patty Floyd figures this out, runs on the field to alert Danny. He calls the timeout. So they sniff out the play, and, uh, you know, Spike kind of is able to read this, though, still reverse field. Becky O'Shea makes the great tackle at the goal line. It's pretty clear that he didn't get in the end zone. Kevin O'Shea is still very upset when he's called outside of the end zone. So No now, instant replay system. No, I mean... Can you imagine these refs trying to go in, inside the booth and execute instant replay? That would have been a disaster. So, but yeah, so the Giants get the ball at the goal line, decide to get very aggressive with four seconds left and go for the win. Uh, I'm, You know, again, I probably shouldn't expect this out of this movie. We're not really given any explanation as to what would have happened had this game ended regulation in a tie. I assume we would have gone to overtime, yeah. but everyone's kind of acting as though this is going to be the last play of the game. The Giants are celebrating like if they stop it, they win. Yeah, I, I'm i not... Or the, the Cowboys were celebrating. 
Yeah, I mean, given what the solution ends up being in this movie, I don't know that they put much thought into it. But yeah, I don't know how they would have resolved this if the game had just ended in a tie. Yeah. These bets. But anyways, that's that's not going to become an issue. It's uh, if it's first and ten from the goal line, four seconds left, and we've got to break out the annexation of Puerto Rico. Now. I think we we kind of tried to figure out what would have actually been drawn up for this play. Essentially, it's a fumble ruski, which I think is a legal play. They set it down in the end zone, fake as though Becky has it, Zoltek picks it up, and uh, starts running with it. So it really is relying on the Cowboys not paying any attention, which I suppose, you know, there's other instances of doing of them doing that throughout the game. Now, we're led to believe this was such a genius play. John Madden approved it. John Madden even kind of Actually revised the play. Revised it, yeah. But, you know, there was, you know, I guess we can say what happens first. Zoltek runs for about 50, 20 yards or so, laterals to Junior, who laterals to the smallest kid. So, in a nice, you know, hero moment, the smallest kid who barely could play football gets to score the winning right. touchdown. That's nice. And then give himself a severe head injury by running into the goalpost for one last bit of slapstick humor. But So that's what happens. The Giants win the game. I think that's not a big surprise. But unless the laterals were part of it, which I don't know how you could have pre-planned that the Cowboys were going to eventually sniff out and come over for the tackle requiring you to lateral, essentially this genius play that John Madden loved and apparently used in the Super Bowl win over the Vikings was a fumble ruski that involved the center and the slowest guy on the team trying to run at 99 yards for a touchdown. So I'm not sure that was necessarily the greatest play call, but, yeah, the laterals are executed, and it it does work out. We get the Giants. I don't know what kind of of computer analysis went into that play, too, because you get the impression that he's doing something with that computer. I mean, let's be honest. The play was probably not... Supposed to be a 99 yard play. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Supposed to be done within the red zone, I'm assuming. Because actually, it would have been effective if you were 15 yards out. I Zoltek mean, we do. Would've... Yeah, I mean, we do find out early in the movie that Zoltek is so slow that you would need a sundial to get right. a 40 yard dash time. So, right. I, again, I'm just not sure you really wanted. But I, I guess this goes back to making the smallest kid on the team the offensive tackle. There's not a right. real strong sense of positions here, but. So, you know, the Giants, they they get their win. Uh, they resolve things. Spike's dad kind of has a crying fit. Spike all of a sudden becomes very stable. At very the classy. Yeah, he also. leads his team in a round of applause, tells his dad to get a grip. So, yeah, he kind of changes course pretty quickly, which is good for Spike. He shows some I mean, he probably never lost before. Yeah, you know, probably. losing can, uh, can be a learning experience. So, that's good for Spike, but... I mean, basically, we end up with the solution that they're going to merge the two teams and have one town, one team. So, could have saved themselves basically, a lot of trouble and just did that to begin with. Uh, apparently, Kevin O'Shea doesn't not a big believer in roster depth. Yeah, so. you know, you really could have just had a second <laughs> unit, but yeah, they they didn't want to do that. So it, that's ultimately what's resolved. Uh, Danny O'Shea likes to not take over the car dealership, but he gets his name on the water tower. He does. Know. And he gets the girl. We're led to believe he gets the girl. Yeah. Well, he gets a dinner date with the girl right. anyways. Which, I, I, this is a little off topic, but I feel I have to bring it up. The whole movie is talking about Becky and Junior, and now we're establishing a love interest between Becky's dad and Junior's mom. Gonna make things pretty difficult. I mean, 
Yeah, one of the two is not going to work. Well, and you're really not going... He's not going to really be allowed to go with Kevin's daughter at that point either. I mean, that's right, essentially she would be a cousin. Yeah. So, yeah, we're kind of ruining Junior's teenage <laughs> love life here with this union. But Junior's going to be a little upset about that over the next couple of years. But, yeah, so that's... Uh, it ends pretty abruptly with the shot of the water tower, which changes location in the town many times. And uh, that shows the mismanagement of this city. They have, like, six water towers. <laughs> yeah. And they all are going to say O'Shea Brothers on them now. So. Or they're just, the entire town is built in a circle around the water tower. Perfectly yeah. around the water tower. <laughs> it is a, that water just tower like is a, a big deal. Danny's service station is just on the other side of the water tower, and there's like a football field. And... Yeah, lots of geography and, and, you know, basic time. Also, no love to the Ohio foot NFL teams for this movie. No, you don't, you'd think it'd be like little Bengals. And well, that the was Bengals and the Browns. That was my thing with the Giants. I mean, I get why they used the Cowboys in '94. That was the heyday of Aikman and Smith. They won those Super Bowls. Had the cool jerseys. That makes sense. And I guess the Giants were again just in there so they could use the title Little Giants. But yeah, yeah you it probably were... sounds a little better. Little Bengals or the Little Browns. <laughs> well, they they do love bathrooms. They could, yeah, they could use so, it. Just some floaters. <laughs> so, want to end the podcast with that? I don't. I can't think of a better ending than that. We had a ridiculous ending. The Little Giants. That's how we end the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Go see Little Giants if you hadn't. Little floaters. I got nothing else. <laughs> Good night. We'll be back with better sports talk sometimes, and we'll probably try to forget that we ever did this.